I found out it was never actually called Clippy. Is that just a aphorism that? Arose? Yes, it was like it was just like people just started calling it Clippy. Because what was his name? Is he... Well, he was a paperclip. <laughs> <laughs> Ezekiel Clip. I'm gonna actually find the proper name of him now. His name was annoying in the corner. He's <laughs> <laughs> not in this week, Keith. Sorry, <laughs> Hello. And welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. It is your host, Ryan Parrish. And joining me with me in the studio this week is Keith Bloomfields. Hey. Philip Ellis's. Hello. Nate Crowley's. Hello, my friends. And Callan Daines's. Callan Daines's. All of the Callan Daines's. The Flanders's. Master Fat Hobbits. That went through me. Potatoes. Clip it. Clip it was his proper name. Clippy sounds better though. Clippy's a terrible Clip name. Clippy was the original name. It's an why why even give it a name? It's not a Pixar movie, it's an annoyance. It looks like you're trying to put a picture into a document. Let's f- up all of the text. Oh, <laughs> you look like you're trying to write a list. Can I, I help you? 10 years before there is a kid's CGI movie based on that. I was yeah. just about to say that. Well, I've like, 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 the Simpsons Clip it um, movie. thing. Like, they had like, the animated, they, they had like, a whole like, um, their, yeah. their parody of like, the animated film business. And there was one, it was like a Pixar movie called Condiments. And it was about what jars of ketchup and... And then they made it. That was yeah. a sausage pie. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From the studio that bought you the Emoji Movie. Seth Rogen wants to be filth with hot dogs. Did you what? see they made a Woody Woodpecker film? Yes. That was the, where he took loads of selfies. It was the most... Actually made me feel like a telegraph cop. What? Why? <laughs> and that is not anything, something you ever, ever want to feel. I know. Ever. Right? It's dirty. If, dirty. If, if you ever, ever want to see to the dark side of the animation movie, there's a really good tale online and I'll dig it out for you. It's called... Food Fight, and it's this movie Ooh. that took like 10 years to get out. Oh, yeah. And they like remade it three times during this 10 year period. And like all these celebrities were attached to it who just did not want to get attached. And it was like in Charlie Sheen's like top end of his fame, yeah. like they signed him up. But it's like it's one of the worst animated films ever made. Did it come out? It was never officially released. It's always been in like DVD bargain bins in like supermarkets all over. Oh, you know, it lives with like those fake. Finding Nemo copy movies that they always made. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the animated version of The Asylum. Yeah, but it's got like a really amazing voice cast, but it's just that the film is dog. <laughs> it is absolute dog. Do you remember Delgo? It's worse. Hello, um, and welcome to the Geeky Brummy <laughs> Podcast. There you go. Came out in 2012 after 10 years of production. And look, look at the quality. Of the animation. So wait, they were they, they were making this movie for ten years. Yes. So yeah, Charlie Sheen, Eva Longoria, and Hilary Duff. Very like early two thousands like cachet of people. Mm, like, yes. That's like peak sort of post Lizzie McGuire, mid Desperate Housewives. Let's look at that quality of animation there. Oh goodness. But like even oh, for two thousand like three, <laughs> that is terrible. It's terrifying. And it came out in twenty twelve. And it's basically an anthropomorphic dog. As the detective is the main character who has a relationship with her. Uh, that's this, weird. I need to see this. Who voices the dog? Is it Charlie Sheen? There you go. Forty-five million dollars it cost to me. I need to see this. <laughs> is this your viewing fun tomorrow? Yeah, literally going to write this down. <laughs> I feel like this is the one movie that could actually be worse than the room. Oh no, it's like, it is the ultimate bad movie. I think we all need to have a sit-down viewing and record it for YouTube. Mm. I would love with, to with wine though, right? Yes, with wine. Not, not. <laughs> we need alcohol for this. Trust me, you need alcohol for this. Need more than wine. Yes, but I think there's like, yeah, there we go. So there's like, I think it's on YouTube. Are oh, the whole movies on oh YouTube? Yes, that is always a bad sign if your movies on YouTube. 
and, and no one's response. like no one's lawyer has bothered to take it down. <laughs> Rating one point seven out of ten. What's the? Um... I'm going to bring up the trailer. We'll fade up the piece because we need to talk about this on the. We will need. I'm so happy to learn about this. I just love like crippingly expensive failures. <laughs> oh, one one minute fifty on the trailer. He's dynamic. Oh boy! He's dramatic. <laughs> He's the big dog. Dex Dog Detective is back in the house! That always runs to the rescue. I still got it. Charlie Sheen is Dex. When in doubt, just do the right thing. With Hillary Duff. Listen, tough guy. Doesn't mean that I couldn't kick your butt. Eva Longoria. I've got a hot case for you. Wayne Brady. I'm your best friend, Daredevil Dan. And Christopher Lloyd. Somebody ordered I recall. The Super Slick. Got milk? Do I look like the Dairy Queen to you? Super Slew. <laughs> Clean up on aisle one. Is about to tackle. Yo, Dex. They're building an entire army. His biggest case ever. Let's get him. I do have an idea. It's our I love this guy. It's a battle between the world's most beloved brands and the forces of darkness. Attack! Watch the tail. Sorry, Charlie. Taste that! Check out time. Great idea! Food fight. This makes 500 cases you've solved. What's your secret? The secret's inside. I feel like this needs, like, a root, like, its it, own, um, the disaster artist style, um, like. Yeah, it doesn't. It is one of those things that people go, oh, that's the worst film I've ever seen. You can go, no, I've got a catalogue of films that are far, far worse than anything you've ever said that you think's the worst film ever. But that is a bad film, though. That is a terrible is, film. Yeah, I mean, compared to The Room, that's it. The Room actually has a plot, for a yeah. start off. And it has some charm. Yeah, there's integrity and, and, you know, <laughs> he actually spent it. money on it. Yeah. I feel like you're all stretching the truth here, but I'll, I'll get behind it. Okay. I feel like... <laughs> We were discussing The Room at uni the other day, and I genuinely think that it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Because of Tommy... Because I think Tommy Wiseau is actually a really intelligent person. But it's a long, drawn-out theory, and I can't be bothered to get into that. I think it was all intentional. Sorry, I was still just entranced by the... uh, the Here with me now is James Brogdon, who is a local Birmingham... Well, West Midlands author, shall we say? Yes. Live in lovely town of Bromsgrove, not too far from us here in Sunny Digbeth in Birmingham. And you've been writing for about six, seven years now, I believe, James? I, well, I've been, I've, I've been getting published for six or seven years. I've, I've been embarrassingly writing for, for much longer than that without um, any kind of success. So, so yes and no. <laughs> and uh, you've just released your new novel, The Hollow Tree, which will be available to the general public on the 13th of March at all good bookstores and online. This has taken a little bit of inspiration from a tale which is close to Kiki Brimley's heart and especially Phil Ellis's heart, which is around who put Bella in the witch elm. Yes, a notorious sort of unsolved true-life murder mystery. 
in the, the black country. Yeah, I mean, it's not a million miles away from my wife's parents who live just down the road from the Witchbury Monument, which uh-huh. is where Who Put Bella in the Witch Home was infamously written. But this yeah. decamps it slightly further eastwards into the Licky Hills in Birmingham. Yeah, so what I've done is I've, I've played a little bit fast and loose with the actual historical details of, of the, the murder case itself, and I've sort of changed the characters' names and the locations, and, but I've tried to sort of keep it within the same geographical area because it's where I live and it's what I know, and you know, and, and that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the Licky Hills are a beautiful part of our city. Most people probably won't realise it unless you live in South Birmingham. They, they've, got a, they've got a surprising amount of, uh, of unusual history to them as well. It's kind of thing the book touches on with its themes as layers within layers within layers. To paraphrase Shrek very badly, it's like an onion. There's many layers yes. on the way down. I've just finished pretty much reading the book myself over the last couple of days. It's been an absolutely fascinating read and it's been lovely because, as you mentioned, it's Birmingham-based. Yeah. To um, pretty much know exactly where you're talking about, to where things are. I mean, they say write what you know and I'm basically a lazy person so I I write about the places I know because it's less research. The people uh, people I know and and, and friends and family and whatnot will sort of recognise the places in there. But I mean, the story itself is, 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 I hope, you know, universal enough that you don't actually need to know anything about Birmingham at all to be able to you know, get the story and understand the, the mystery to it, uh, which is kind of why I wanted to, you know, distance the story from you know an actual historical event, you know, to try and sort of make it a little bit more um, universal, have a little bit more appeal to a, to a wider audience rather than have people think, oh, it's it's about Birmingham. What inspired you to write something around Birmingham, Chelm? Because I live around here, there's a lot of, a lot of walking, and a uh, mate of mine was telling me about the story of this uh, woman's uh, remains that were found inside a hollow tree, and you know, a little light bulb goes on, I'm to tell me more. So I did a little bit of digging about the story, and you know, the more I found out, the more I realised there was less known. You know, the more you research into something, you realise that the more questions than answers and I thought well you know these are, these are the, the spaces between different versions of the truth are where good stories can grow in, sort of in, in the cracks I found out you know different theories that Bella was what was she she was she's variously believed to have been a spy or a witch or a, or a gypsy or a prostitute and I thought well what if she was somewhere between all of those things what if she was all of those things and none you know so I tried to make something sort of supernatural out of figure who comes back from the dead but doesn't know who she is or who she's supposed to be and as I say that's a brilliant theme which runs throughout the book is this tangling of thread where you don't know which thread is the real thread what the char- main character Rachel goes through yeah her journey. So it very deliberately borrows some tropes from detective fiction in the sense that you know you've got different competing versions of the same story a different person will, will reveal clues which you know shed a whole new light on one particular key event and then gradually the pieces come together and the person investigating it will discover the actual truth which has little bits of you know all of the various different stories melded together so yeah and that kind of fitted nicely with the idea that I was looking at a story about something which had happened during World War Two. so you know I had images of police figures in in long coats and trilby hats and searchlights and you know all of that kind of black and white noir stuff so you know a little bit of bit of detective mystery fiction seemed to seem to suit the, the atmosphere a bit not to try and spoil the book but flitting between those kind of time periods in the way yeah the book is written is a great way to explain the story and how this myth has developed into something which is so much more 
Yeah, the forties setting of the of, of the backstory of what happened to Mary, as her name is not Bella. I had to do a, a lot of research and digging about about history of Birmingham around about that time, and found out all kinds of little nuggets of information about you know the the, the Long Bridge area and the, the Austin Works as it was then, and, and the things that they were building, and odd little things like gun emplacements and barrage balloon emplacements on the Licky Hills, the, the tram system that used to run through town and now they're they're reintroducing a tram system and so everything seems to come full circle. So, yeah, I, I ended up learning you know, a, a lot more than I expected from the process about where I live, which was nice. Going from your previous work, which was Heckler's Children, also on Titan, was it a different kind of way that you've structured this book, borrowing so much from your local knowledge? I think... It's a different sort of historical period. I mean, Hitler's children couched very much in Bronze Age archaeology and history and culture. So it's it's a lot older. It's a lot more savage. It's it's a lot rawer. Uh, the Holotree is obviously you know set much more closer closer to the modern day. But in both of them, I've I've got this sort of fascination with with different voices, different stories by people, all all circling around the same basic truth of what happened. Hollow Tree became a, a, a weird kind of Triloquist act, you know, I, I had to try and I work a, a lot of work with the editor on on how do we make this particular character sound like uh, a woman who would have worked in factories. And okay, so we, we get that tone. How does this character sound like a Belgian double agent spy? You know, just just so so there was so that again that that was that was a lot of fun trying to sort of adopt those different voices and and learn the mannerisms and what that person's life would have been like. One of my favourite parts of the story is the interaction you get between the Greedman, the Dartman and the Littleman and how these three facets of something play off against each other. Yeah, that was an excuse to just get some get some bickering between between bad guys, which I kind of like, you know. So I, I, it's probably not giving too much of the story away to say that for each different version of who Mary was, Bella or Mary, there's a different version of her death, and when those deaths become summoned into the physical world as actual beings, they're not only trying to reclaim her soul. But they're also fighting with each other to be the the true death. So it becomes a kind of a, a, a three-way sort of bickering argument. They're working together sometimes. They're trying to betray each other sometimes. And that's always great to have when you have antagonists who aren't working towards a common goal. Yeah, when they've got their they've got agendas, they'll cooperate sometimes when it's in their own interest, and other times they'll backstab each other. And I think it just gives it a bit of light and shade. You've done some previous works before this book, Tourmaline series of books, which yep. you've, the first two are out. And is that something you'll be revisiting as well? I hope so. I've kind of left it dangling a bit there. I, I wrote Tourmaline just on spec because I had this idea about a, a steampunk parallel world, which just kept popping up in my dreams. So I started scribbling ideas down, and that turned into a, a novel, and then that novel turned into a sequel and then uh, Snowbooks who, who published that encouraged me to put a teaser of a couple of little chapters of the, of the third book at the end of the second shortly after that I got I got an agent and I got the deal with, with Titan it's very it's a bit tricky trying to sell the third book of a 
trilogy when the other two are published by somebody else and it's, yeah. it's all a bit sort of up in the air at the moment but I, I, I definitely I, I have to finish that, that third book of the Tourmaline series because again it's, it's just got some awesome ideas about overlapping realities and, and weird monsters and steamships and things like that alien brain parasites are always fun you've moved around quite a bit in your personal life two visits to the land down under in yeah I've lived in Australia for a while I've lived yeah. in England for longer do you think that helps with taking a slightly different view on the world having a bit of a different experience i think anything which broadens your horizons is good whether you regardless of whether you're a writer or or a reader or anything i think people should see as much of the world as they're able to i think it it gives you more empathy for for other human beings and a tolerance for different ways that people live their lives and that can't be a bad thing the holiday isn't your first book set in birmingham either i mean you your previous work of the narrows yeah, that's got a rather large Birmingham feel to it. Yeah, you're you're uh, you're, you're observing the trend. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, as I say, I, I like to I like to set the stories where I live, just out of affection for it. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of sort of modern urban fantasy uh, tends to be uh, set in you know very large metropolitan centres like London. Obviously, I mean, there's publishing yeah. industry centred in London, so you get a lot of fiction based in that. But you know, I figure we've got big city in Birmingham. Let's Let's set the story in the in the back alleys and the waste areas and the canal towpaths and and things like that in in Birmingham. It's more of a challenge as well because I mean in London, I guess you've got you've got the underground. I'm not saying it's easy, but you've got that your perfect setting for for um, urban fantasy. I was going into the tunnel. I mean, like Neverwhere. Yeah. I was going to say Neverwhere. The Neil Gaiman book is probably one that's yeah. quite close to a quarter of a exactly. We don't we don't have a we don't have a subway system in Birmingham. So so if you want to create a, sort of a, a fantasy reality living alongside mundane everyday reality, you know, where do you put it? You know that 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 becomes a challenge in itself in, in, in terms of the writing. So so in the Narrows, the Narrows are the, the wasteland areas, the the overgrown patches between bypasses. You know the canal towpaths, the the overgrown vacant lots, those kinds of things where time and space get fuzzy and strange things creep in and people get lost i think most of us have had that experience at some point in birmingham usually after yeah a bit, bit like a bit like around Silly Oak. as we mentioned the holiday is due to launch on the 13th of march and you're actually having a special launch party at foils in yes we Brown. are having we are having a launch party on saturday the 17th at half past six there will be wine and song yeah it's completely free pop along have a chat Great. Yeah, and we'll tweet the link out to the launch party if you want to register there. So the tickets are available on Foils' website, so you can get yeah. them there. And you're having a second event in Waterstones on Gower Street in London, which is part of the Sci-Fi Session series of events they're doing. And it'll be yourself and the author of Folk, Zoe Gilbert. Yes, who is completely brilliant. And that's going to be a fun evening. So I hope loads of people will turn up to that. Yeah, it's going to be an absolutely fascinating event by the sound of it. I mean, I wish I could get down to London myself for that one. Yeah, because, I mean, her work is very sort of lovely and, and sort of lyrical and sort of folk story oriented, and whereas I think mine is probably more sort of angling towards the, the, the supernaturally horror side of things. So it'll be it'll be very, it'll be an interesting conversation. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's great to see folk couldn't be still inspire people to this day with the old myths and legends and be taken well, yeah. very different ways you have the good side of the folk people don't understand there's a dark side to folk quite a lot of times well yeah i mean and and, and folk evolves as well i mean folk stories folk stories uh, change and evolve and and are, are born and, and, and die you know i think a more 
more sort of dynamic way than, than, than myths do. Your big sort of classic classic sort of myth cycles tend to be sort of those 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 legends, those those eddas, those sagas that are kind of written down and codified. I think folk stories tend to be a bit more mutable and more sort of oral storytelling, sort of verbal passing down stories from one generation to the next. I mean, I'm fully prepared to be to be told I'm wrong by somebody who's more of an expert in this, <laughs> but that's just the, the sense I get about it. For me, folk stories seem to pull away from the whole monomyth classic protagonist cycle that we usually get yeah i think folk stories they allow people they, they operate on a much more sort of local level i think they allow people to, to to have sort of resonance with where they live and their immediate environment and the woodlands and the byways and the highways of, of where they are and, and telling stories about their their own ancestors who lived there before them rather than sort of big distant epic you know heroes and, and, and monsters kind of that Almost domestic level of, of myth making is very important as well as the sort of the, the big sort of meta narrative. Yeah, I mean, and that's great to see in such an effect in the Hollow Tree to try and not spoil the story as well. There's this generational storytelling, which is again where the thread seems to combine and then come out in a completely different random aspect than you can trace back. Yeah, so in as much as it's a, a supernatural thriller about a, a, a murdered woman and how she might have died. It's about families and the secrets that get kept from one generation to the next, the tensions and the, and the loyalties between married partners and parents and in-laws. It's a bit of a family saga sort of thing going on there too. Because people are embedded in the history of their families, that always has to come into play. This revels in having the family aspect to it. It's not just about the main character, Rachel. It's yeah. About, it's about her husband, Tom. It's about yeah, I mean, it, it, it starts off purely with, with her story. She loses a hand in a, in a horrible accident. And so the first big chunk of it is just about her learning to cope with that, because that would be enough of a, a story on its own. It widens out to encompass not, not just her husband's way of, of coping with the accident, but when she starts to experience paranormal phenomena and she wonders whether she's actually sane or not, brings in you know, other, mem other, other members of her, of her family as well and, and concerns about you know, her, her mental stability. Fascinating book. And I, I do urge our readers to go, uh, listeners to go out and get a copy and go and see yourself at Foils. And hopefully there'll be a book reading. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll be. I'll. You have to try and stop me. Yeah, I'll be. I'll, I'll read a bit. And we'll have a chat about local history. I. I, I tend to find it uh, these sorts of things. People are more than willing to say, "Oh, I've got this brilliant story. I have to tell you about this thing that happened around our way, or this thing that happened to my dad, or this thing that happened to my grandma." Their own personal little little folk stories mm. come out, and, and that will get sucked into the storytelling at, at some point. But yeah, there'll be there'll be a reading, and I'll be signing books. I've got a special spooky tree stamp to stamp on the inside of copies that people buy to make it unique and interesting i don't know as a sort of gimmick but yeah yeah it should be good thank you very much for joining us on geeky room today to recap we can find you online on twitter at skippy b that's at skippy b yes s-k-i-p-p-y-b-e and right. your personal blog it can be found at jamesbrogdon.blogspot.com brilliant and is james brogdon author on facebook yes Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. Thank you very much for, for giving me your time. Yeah, we'll love to see you at Foils on the 17th of March. And we urge any of our fans a bit further down south to attend the event at Gowalane in London. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you soon in the future, James. That's great. Thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you. Are you enjoying being at Birmingham MCM Comic Con? Are you enjoying... What's the atmosphere like today? 
Oh my God, it's really packed. Everyone's enthusiastic. It's great to be here. I don't think I've been here before. I think this is my first time here, if I'm not, you know, everything, it, it just begins to blend, you know, but um, um, it's, it's a delight to be here. Of course, you're meeting fans. When you do meet them, I'm sure you get the same questions again and again. What are the most common ones? What do people always want to ask you when they get a chance to meet you at events like this? Well, I mean, you know, oftentimes people have sort of grown up watching Star Trek and it's been such a big part of their life. So I think um, the fans really just want to sort of share that with you, you know, get have a chance to be able to express that. Um, and uh, I, we, we are, we're all very, truly grateful. Do you see Comic-Con as a, like a catch-up with old friends when they come and join you? Last year we've been um, together at events quite quite a bit because of the anniversary oh my god um, <laughs> yeah, shocking still... yeah it's it is it is a chance for us to to uh, have a sort of like social evening out together you know when you're walking through the hall yeah is it weird to see people dressed up as Tasha Yar you know not at this point any longer I mean <laughs> I've 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 seen it uh, just when I thought I've you know pretty much seen it all um, somebody will do something that that'll shock me but for the most part I really take it to heart it's very sweet is it interesting to still be able to reprise the character so with the Star Trek online universe where you've gone back and forward some of the voice casting for that is it interesting to when you get the call to say would you like to come back oh this was this was great you know it was really interesting because the part of Sila I think um, was was uh, much more flushed out in the online game you know they they do such a terrific job, and um, it was it was really a delight to be able to do that to 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 play Sila and Tasha, you know. And I think I did it in one day, you know. So I was like, you know, Tasha, Sila, Tasha, Sila, you know. It's just really in, a challenge for an actor to do that. Yeah, because it must be interesting because there's not many people in the Star Trek family who've had a chance to play two characters to such an aplomb as yourself. So was it different to like get from Sela to Tasha and back and forth? Yeah, I mean, when I was filming, it was a little bit of an easier transition because pretty much approached it as just a brand new character altogether, you know, the part of Sela. And, but when doing the voice for the game, it wasn't that much space, you know, had gone yeah. different. So it was, it was a little bit trickier to just alter the voice in a way that could... Um, suggest you know that I was you know, now Tasha, and then yeah, know, a, a little bit, a little bit more of a challenge. And obviously, it's a really exciting time for Star Trek fans with our new series, and I think having all of the previous series available on Netflix has brought a whole new audience to the show. Um, how do you feel about the legacy of particularly Next Gen looking back? How do you think the show's aged, and and how do you feel about our new series if you've been watching Discovery? Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to watch Discovery yet, but I've always asked the fans. I'm talking to fans a lot about it, and everyone seems to be really um, loving it. So, which is which is all good. You know, people really have a very soft spot for the Next Gen. You know, of all the series, they they just I think a lot of it has to do with the chemistry of the cast and and. You know, it was 25 years had gone by before, you know, anything new had been made. So I think it's really a delight. It does hold up a lot of it. The first season's a little dicey for me. I'm, I'm doing something interesting. This, this uh, where a lot of us are doing a, a cruise in January. There's CBS 
Viacom has um, an official Star Trek cruise now. Michael Dorn and I are going to dissect Code of Honor. We're going to do a live chat of Code of Honor because it is one of the episodes that we scratch our heads, you know, in that first season going, how, why, <laughs> what happened? But but yeah, there's. The, I think the show has earned its place. I, I recently saw an interview with Maria Sirtis saying that when the cameras were off, all you did was laugh but all the time on stage. Directors had trouble with that. Who was the most fun person to work with on the, on the set? Certainly Brent and Jonathan made it, you know, very crazy and fun but we all we all kept um each other entertained spontaneously would just do crazy fun things because you know the hours were so long and um again the season ran for 26 episodes per season which is unheard of you know these days so we spent far more time on that set with each other than with our own families and private, you know, in our private lives. So it was really important to keep a certain tone. And even old Patrick Stewart got in on it after a while. He, he lightened <laughs> up considerably and learned to have a sense of humor, actually. When you're traveling around, and Star Trek's shown everywhere all over the world at one point, do you ever just sit down and watch it? Well, that's my little secret, isn't it? <laughs> um, no, I, um, it's funny, I, I, I'll, I'll watch like a moment of it, you know, if, if I catch it at all. I, I haven't gone to that glorious Swanson place yet um, and sit there and watch my old films over and over and over again. No, not there yet. I think obviously the Star Trek series have always been an evolution, and I'm curious, how important do you think your character was as a stepping stone to getting to characters like Major Kira and Janeway? Do you think we would have had characters like that in the Star Trek universe? If we hadn't had uh, yours initially, I think that Star Trek, you know, was is always a reflection of its its time, and I think that, you know, having a female security chief was exactly in keeping with the times. And I, yeah, it, it it's definitely a progression. You know, here we are with Discovery having, you know, female leaders, and you don't even really sort of scratch your head. I I think though it's. We still have a long ways to go, so, you know, clearly what, what we're seeing reflected in our newspapers every day. We're getting there, baby steps, but yeah, definitely I think Tasha was a stepping stone, for sure. Swapping franchises for a second, how was your time on The Walking Dead? To be honest, I, had, I wasn't watching The Walking Dead. I had no idea how popular this show had become. They were so lovely to work with and welcoming and embracing, and I think that truly begins with Andrew Lincoln being who he is. He's just a, you know, just a lovely human being. They do a great job. They're, they're, they know what they're doing. They know how to make, you know, turn this out, like, cinematically within days. And everybody's very professional. So I was, I was kept really under wrap. The, the show is, is very guarded, very secretive. Um, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, <laughs> they didn't even tell me what really what I was doing until yeah. like the day of. Wow. Um, I knew I was wearing a wig. That's pretty much all I knew. It was a really interesting experience in that way, uh, shooting on the fly. It must have been such a completely different experience to something as scripted as Star Trek Next Generation going into the... Right. And yeah, and it was just, um, you know, they, they, they shoot in, um, they shoot very 
precisely and well in Atlanta. It was just, yeah, it was just great to be part of again this this phenomenon. Um, I can, uh, you've mentioned before that you'll be working on the third Trekkies documentary. Well, I hope to go to some places that we haven't been. I'd really like to go to to Asia, sort of see what what's happening in China and various parts of of Asia. I'd like to check back on my, my um, stars from the first two. I know that Gabriel Kerner, who is, was 14 in Trekkies, he's now doing some opticals and special effects for um, the Orville. He's on that show. How complete, you know, I knew it. I told you. I told you back then. Yeah, I'd love to, to check back on, on just go to some places and then talk to the, the new cast, J.J. Abrams, actors, Discovery actors, just check in how this is affecting them, what Trek looks like to them after this amount of time, and, and then hand it off and I'll have finished my trilogy. Speaking of Orville for a minute, Jonathan Frakes is involved. I think maybe Roxanne Dawson, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I think she was, uh, directing-wise. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Um, you ever thought of like emailing Seth and go, fancy bringing Tasha Yar back? <laughs> it wouldn't be Tasha Yar, but I, I, have, um, I have met with those guys oh, about doing a part on okay. the Orville. I think so Robert Picardo's just come yes. back. Oh, has he? Okay, on the Orville? Yes. Seth? Is a big Trekkie, so oh, I'm is, sure yeah. he'll <laughs> yeah. he'll he'll find something yeah. you know for us if we can do it. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so, would you look at returning to the franchise in a different role? Then, obviously, having played two different characters already in the Star Trek universe. Oh, I think it'd be really great fun, and you know, I think the fans would love it, and and I hope, yeah, I hope to do it. Absolutely. Outside of conventions, yeah. How is that experience different to when you're at conventions? Do you get recognised much? Oh no, never at all. Um, I'm pretty invisible, I would say. So how do you feel when you come to a convention like this and the experience is completely different and you have people that are amazed to see you and are like queuing up? Like you had a queue um, earlier that was... It was so long. I find it, it's just overwhelming, really. I'm quite humbled by the fact that people can come to me and spend the time to wait in line, and then we can talk about their childhood and their experiences, and um, just that they trust me with that is, um, I I don't know, there's nothing else like it in the world. Are they all here for Pokemon? Are those people who recognize you for your work outside of it with sort of Yu-Gi-Oh, Sailor Moon, uh, your work as April and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah, I would say most people are here for Pokemon uh, because that's how I'm uh, you know I'm in the program as Ash and on uh, the poster but I think people come for other things that they've found on their own or they discover when they're here at the table looking at the characters I've played but um, I think Pokemon's the big draw so that was a yeah how does the experience differ when you meet fans from all these different all all these different shows and all these different time frames I was speaking to you before we were recording and you said about how you meet three different generations like grandparents parents yeah I've had at least three come up to the table like the grandmother the parent and the the child you know I think everyone's love for Pokemon is is the same everyone has um, invested a bit of themselves discovered a bit of themselves in it it's I don't think it really, that kind of love for Pokemon doesn't seem to vary from age, from um, geography, I guess. Um, I've been around the world and everybody feels the same about it. And we have the same things to begin our conversation and base our friendship 
which then can grow from there. So how does it feel, um, conventions in... Because uh, you're from America originally, so yeah. com- when you come over here to conventions over here, different other countries, is there, like, different customs and stuff that uh, feel different to you? Uh, that- I think people are just different. Some people are a little more polite than others. I think the way the conventions are run is a little bit different in certain yeah. places. But overall, it's it's the same, you yeah. know? There's just people coming and very excited about what they love and... Um, it, I think Pokemon especially inspires so much creativity and imagination and I get to see people's drawings and characters they've created, things that they've written. Uh, it's really incredible. And you can, and you feel that, yeah. being the inspiration for that. And Not me, but I feel like I'm the bridge to that. I mean, Pokemon has opened doors for people in their creativity. And so I'm just kind of the, the bridge to get them to that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, that's brilliant. Terrible joke time. I got one I'll redo that I heard on radio today. Well then. How did a hipster burn his tongue? I don't know. He put something hot in his mouth before it was cool. Oh. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Oh, I have one. I have one. What did the sadist do to the masochist? Nothing. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> right? That's a clever joke for clever people. Yes. <laughs> oh. oh, it was just a bad joke. No, it was actually a very good joke. Nate laughed. We all... all the validation I need. <laughs> <laughs> just, you can't do that. Just like Bogarding keep... the potatoes. <laughs> Stop it! It's because he has room to store a bunch. I don't. I have a little tiny desk, my itty bitty desk. Oh, you're like Martin Scrambling with a weird hang album. <laughs> Well, have you we might it? finally get the Wu-Tang album. Yay! Yes, it might be re-released because the whole first buyer thing breaks when somebody else buys it off him. Oh. So oh. that whole copyright 2100-year thing goes in the window, out the window if it's second sale. Interesting. Sure. It's the way US copyright works. Also, less excitingly, we may also get Carter 5 by Little Wayne. But more importantly, a new Wu-Tang album. Nobody cares about Little Wayne. I liked him back in the day. He's an unpleasant man. Yes. He's an unpleasant man. Most rappers are unpleasant men. Yeah, Yeah, but most of charmingly unpleasant. I feel that. Most of charmingly unpleasant. He's just been unpleasant permanently. He's not nice. He's not a nice man. I trust Buster Rhymes to look after my kids. He could raise my kids if it means I don't have to. <laughs> could you imagine? I'd, the, I'd be concerned my kids would be psychologically damaged. Could you imagine the amount of admonishing you'd get into the child's if like if you found the child doing something they weren't supposed to, he just wrapped. Yeah. <laughs> now that is the Mary Poppins reboot I want. But Buster Rhymes. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he's busy at the minute. Mary Poppins, the flip mode story. Yes. Hold this bloody bit, and then we can have the crisps afterwards. And you shouldn't have bought crisps. I forget too. that the recording of that the eating of crisps will like unless we lo- that was such a dad thing you can have the crisps after you've done the task <laughs> we're, we're not recording an ASMR YouTube video of us just eating crisps in a room just eat, crunch, biting into a whole lettuce I love that you could probably ASMR yes just coming, coming 2018 we're going to bring point. some Brayburn apples in that we can all chew on next week <laughs> Hi guys, this is Crisp Witch 42. <laughs> Crisp Witch! It's how she burns them on the steak. Oh my god, just eating different crisps every week. Just for ASMR stuff. Well, there is something vaguely ASMR about eating a Watsit. Because it's that very comforting, like, it's not a crunch, it's a... 
It's the same with skips, the way they yeah, fizzle on the tongue. You don't, well, you don't even need teeth for that. You just put it on your tongue and let, let nature do the rest. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Room Show this week. Nate, where can we find you on the interwebs? You can find me on twitter.com, a relaxed website where I am <laughs> at frogcroakley, F-R-O-G-C-R-O-A-K-L-E-Y. And it's really fun following him because this week... We didn't bring this up earlier, uh, but this week, uh, Nate was being attributed historical uh, personas for himself, and anyone who wrote him into a historical scenario, he would do the same for them. And it was a very entertaining morning on Twitter.com. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was sort of like a Blackadder thing. Like, um, yeah, you were, a, you were a master tailor in 18th century Paris, who was actually the leader of a gang of twinkling-eyed thugs. <laughs> Uh, who yeah. would ransack the properties of your exceedingly rich clientele <laughs> where you bamboozled them uh, with style advice, yeah. Got your number, mate. I've never felt so seen. Fagan Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> Mr Ellis? You can find me on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L, Ellis with two. Look for the charming looking gentleman with a ginger beard and a blue tip. I thought they were looking for you. Ha, 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 ha. I'm going to have to separate you two. I'm, I'm glad there's a desk between you two today. <laughs> Mr. Bloomfields, where can we find you online? Watching these two having a go at each other on Twitter <laughs> later on. Um, <laughs> me, it's the usual non Count Duckula episode, Hard Luck Hotel, with an underscore some places, with an underscore else. Try them out, see what you might find. You know. You're currently in cartoon form, I believe. Yeah, there's a cartoon version of me because I don't do pictures. Screwed yourself over coming on this show. No, it's a thing. It's, no, I, I don't pick up well in photographs. I think it's a very friendly looking image, though. It's one I <laughs> trust. I like your new avatar. He's smiling, actually. That was, that's, that was yeah. a, a big change for me. You know, well, I can't get the right hair. Really, they don't. Do, they don't do really bad haircuts on these uh, avatars. I don't think I've ever seen you have a bad haircut. Oh, my hair's shocking at the moment. No, it's just like that, like mess, angst. <laughs> See, when I have, <laughs> when I have no product, my hair looks like broccoli in the morning now. It's straight up and just like oh, a cloud of hair. That's being given a nomenclature now. That's called meet me at McDonald's hair. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't understand the naming of that unless you have a side part in. It makes no sense. Because it's what the, the youths who are at McDonald's look like. Pretty much. It's, it, it, youths. It's, yeah, youths. The, you know, the young people, whatever they call themselves these days. We haven't even talked about the whole McDonald's flipping its arch and pretending that's International Women's Day. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> let's do literally something that's worse than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. What did they do? They flipped the uh, big M-shaped arches to make a W for International Women's Day. It's like, you could just maybe, like, ensure uh, that working conditions for your female employees are better. Or, like, give everybody a fair wage. Yeah. Or, or like, yeah. Yeah. All the, all the joyous stuff that they could do. Callum... Have you remembered your Twitter this week? Yes, you can find me at Danes Radio on Twitter. Um, I'm trying to tweet more, so please go follow me. I like <laughs> follow followers. that adventure. <laughs> I may follow. Callum might uh, give you a follow back. I might yes. follow you back. I might. You might explain how to navigate by water. You do. Oh, okay, so Callum, just a reminder that if someone follows you on Twitter, it does not mean that they fancy you. <laughs> it's Twitter, not Tinder. <laughs> no. I just now I've just got a Twitter Tinder spin-off. That would be cool. cool. Yes. Wait, is that right. a true what? thing? You could do Twitter Tinder spin-off, but instead of pictures of you, your best tweets. Uh, Twinder, oh my Game god! Of Thrones, if, good way. if I 
if I could like use my t- well, I I would love to like use my tweets to catch a man, honestly, because like they're the best thing about me. How but are your tweets not catching men anyway, Phil? But at the same time, it's like I, no, because I, I I the tweets are also where I exhibit my worst human impulses, and maybe they they don't need to see that. So. Well, but but describes the world's best dating sites: married people, which is <laughs> oh my god, and sociopaths. Yeah, yeah but too- Phil, if they can't handle you at your worst, they won't be able to handle you at your best. Oh my god, take that wooden <laughs> carving that you hang over your bed and burn it along with the live, laugh, love sign. <laughs> yeah, where can we find you, Ryan? We can, can we find you watching Food Fight on YouTube? <laughs> it's just on a constant repeat in the background. It, it's what I aspire to make. $45 million of bin. <laughs> I don't want to have a food fight in the, in the middle aisle of Lidl now. But but there's no food in the middle aisle of Lidl. It's random clothing from Heidi Klum. No, there's occasionally like weird jars of like preserves. Olives, there's often olives. Anti-pest. Very five pound Easter eggs is the one other thing that we. Laid by Heidi Klum herself. (laughs) 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 In a factory somewhere, just popping one out every thirty seconds. (laughs) Alfred Asine. There's another one. I don't. I used to play separatists. She'd be like Queen Slug for a bit in Earthworm Jim. So is this what happens when you're like in your post Project Runway career? Apparently. I mean, oh, I'm waiting for RuPaul to start I, selling I, I, flogging tats. Oh, RuPaul has been flogging tat for years. She I mean, is that, on, she is on Twitter shilling her own scented candle. I mean, that program's what now? Ten seasons old. Yeah, crap. Yes. Ten years. She, oh, she, oh, she, it, she has her own chocolate bars. Super with peanut with, with peanut butter in it, and she wrote a song because her, her album is branded content. So there's a song that's called Peanut 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 Butter Peanut 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 Butter. Must be Jellica's jam. Don't shake. What did uh-huh. we I could have lived without that in my life. She was uh, just uh, a drag uh, superstar. Yes, just just. Um, oh right. She, she she's just always been like just, a drag queen. Yes. and doing what drag queens do. Yeah. I wonder, like, she was in music or whatever. Well, she is in music ostensibly. You can find from, her on Apple Music from drag. Right. Yeah. It's not like it's not like proper music though. Just... Um, <laughs> wow. I mean, I mean, she's no tricks in Mattel, but oh. <laughs> well, who is? Anyway, you can find me online on the Twitter halls at Ryan Parrish, and you can find us all at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Facebook, Yowchobs, Instagram. Many, of fish. yeah, all yeah. all the internet sites, and we'll be doing that all either. of them, literally every all site on them. the internet. Yes. We're there somewhere. We're not in, we're not on v- Vivo yet. Or v- Vero. Oh, Vero, Vero, Vero. 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 What is this Vero thing? It's like Twitter but ad free. It's like I'm sorry. Did you not do you not remember Mastodon and how that collapsed? Well, they're basically giving away. Yes. Under the weight of its own tusks. God, I'm still waiting for people to follow me on Ello. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I joined that. And I, every like every six months, I get an email saying like someone's followed me on Ello, and it's like I I, I what okay. I refuse but, to be an early adopter of anything. Yes, yeah. apparently Vero's given out a million free accounts, and then you have to pay for membership afterwards. That's how they're going to structure the thing. But why pay for something when you can just use AdBlock? I mean, I'm joking. Su- I don't endorse that. <laughs> Support the arts, Callum. Uh, uh, the I arts of Twitter and Facebook. Is there any app developers out there want to develop a social media app that just shows me everything in chronological order? Oh. In the order that people I follow post it. I'll, I'll, I'll That's never going to happen again now. We've missed that golden People time. can now like things into your feed and it's like, oh my god, I get it. You're a thirsty whore. This, there's a personal trainer with his pecs out. I, I don't need to see that. I was I looking about this on... Social network where everyone's username is their bank 
code and you can only post audio and it displays things in reverse chronological order. You can only follow people you hate. <laughs> Anti-social media. Yeah. To, be, to be fair, that's what Twitter really is. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. Shut up, Jack might be listening. <laughs> Facebook notifications as well. We have not touched this. Oh. They, they oh no longer God. notify you of anything that you're actually interested in. Somebody you worked with 10 years ago yes. is going to their niece's baby shower. It's like, well, yes. congratulations, Karen and Imogen. I don't care, you basic. Somebody has added an event in a store near you. You might want to attend. No! <laughs> if I want to attend, I'm going to Selected yeah. myself. And talking about that, Facebook must have like Callan's sense of geography because they keep arguing at notifications and say, somebody's yeah. interested in an event near you. Yes. Um, for me, the word near means I could get there with, you know, in like 10 minutes or small, yeah. or a small bus journey. Not events that are happening in Amsterdam. <laughs> Amsterdam is not near me. Amsterdam, that's far. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Twitters, Facebooks. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share. On the subject of Twitter, while we were sitting here, one of my tweets was just added to a Twitter moment. So, oh. uh, your tweet? you guys, it's a Renaissance painting um, with a lady slumped over Didn't it on a chaise This one. weeks ago. Weeks ago, and it's just been added to a, a Twitter moment saying, 11 tweets about binge watching that are just way too real. And it's like, it is way too real. And that's why they got 40,000 likes, guys. It was Millet. We, like, he's, I'm sure he's, he's, he's long fine. dead. He's fine. He's fine. He's if, cool with it. If, if he's pre-Raphaelite, it's basically, it's fine. It's me. It's mine. Just come back to me when you've got a moment all of your own, sir. So. Oh! <laughs> Twitter beef. Bodied. <laughs> Absolutely bodied. Almost as good as these crisps. <laughs> I've just looked. Frog Croakley doesn't have a Bluetooth. No? No, but i got a moment. Well, I mean, <laughs> wax on, wax off. I mean, I mean, Frog Crookly doesn't moan on Twitter like every thirty minutes. So, like, it's not moaning; it's monologuing. It's more, it's more human meat cyborgs, which have folded your timeline. Yeah, there's lots of that. Yes. Uh, anyway, don't forget to like, subscribe, share, find, tell us all your friends. Rate. Tell, us, <laughs> tell us all your friends. Yes. Give us five stars because, like, honestly, our mental Take your self-worth depends on it. And start subscribing on their behalf for, to our podcast. Yeah, yeah, and write a review and tell us that we yeah. are important. We are special. We are clever. We are kind. We are important. Yes, we is real. Yeah, and don't forget to find our YouTube channel as well because we'll be doing an MCM Comic Con Birmingham video with us probably acting like loons. Yeah, usually what happens. Hopefully just hanging out with some famous people. Yeah. Yeah. But goodbyes. Bye. Cheerio, folks. Au revoir.